We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. And it's a lesson about becoming the kind of people that our moment in history needs us to become. So I started the lesson with this. To be the kind of people this moment needs us to be, we can't just flip a switch and decide to be those people. If we could do that, we would have done it by now. You know how it goes. All it takes is some dumbass social media post. All it takes is some outrageous statement by some self-serving politician. All it takes is some disgraceful event showing up in our newsfeed, and pow, a cascading series of mechanisms just show up in our bodies. Chemicals surge, stomachs tighten, brows furrow, brains kick in to the danger, danger, danger response. So we stop when that happens doing any kind of new thinking or any kind of creative thinking or any kind of outside of the box thinking because new thinking takes a lot of system resources. Way too expensive when you're in survive, run away from a bear response. Instead, we draw from a cache of previous ways of being because that is a much less demanding process. So we think thoughts and we feel feelings that we've thought before that we have felt before. We say words and we do deeds that we have said before that we have done before. And there you go, bam, we are not the people this moment in history needs us to be. We are instead yanked, like everybody else is, into habits and reactions, doing what everybody else is already doing. But thank you, perennial spiritual tradition, a body of wisdom that speaks to us across the generations, offering us a viable and very effective alternative. So, of course, the ancient wisdom world would tell us in a comforting kind of way, of course you think your thoughts, and of course you feel your feelings, and of course you react your reactions. That's okay. It's what human beings do. It's wired into the onboard equipment that we all woke up inside of. But we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. There are things we can do today that if we will do, will make possible things that we cannot yet do tomorrow. There's a way that we can be that over time will enable us to live the wisdom of the saints will enable us to live the wisdom of the sages. A way that we can be to live what Jesus taught, to love our enemies, to live what Gandhi taught, eye for an eye and everybody, soon everybody's blind, which I read recently he didn't actually say, but alas. <clears throat> to live what Martin Luther King taught, that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. To live what the Buddhists teach, compassion for all beings, even those who hold ill will toward us, cultivating our inner capacity to break the cycle of suffering. There is a way that we can live those words. 
there's a way that those words cannot be just pretty words that inspire us or pretty words to which we aspire. They are inspiring. We do aspire. We feel how right those words are. We feel how good they are. We want to be those kinds of people. But you know how it goes. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and all indications are it's going to be a year for our whole society in which a lot of us are going to get a lot of punches in the mouth. So even if you have checked out of all of the hyperpartisan ugliness that's going on, you still have a job, and you've still got a family, and you've still got in-laws, and you've still got neighbors. There are plenty of places to get punched in the mouth. And when we do, all of our aspirations to live nobly, and all of our desires to be peacemakers and to break the cycle of suffering and to cultivate a sense of belonging, pow, all of it just goes out the window because those chemical surging reactions, they just happen. They're part of our bodies. So a year, <clears throat> a year of coming back intermittently to things we can do that if we will do, will make it possible to do what we cannot yet do. Now, I hope you remember the developmental process I laid out in the first two parts of the lesson. Uh, it, it was drawn from Jesus' mountainside sermon. The process is, first, to be the people in history that history needs us to be. First, we do things that we can do today to develop our capacity for self-love. And remember the core practice that I talked about, becoming steadier in our contemplative practice in meditation. So... You could do that, or you could just keep showing up, because our community is going to be regularly through this year inviting you to moments and spaces where you can practice meditation together. So first, we uh, develop our capacity for self-love. Second thing is we do the things that we can do today to be get better, more intentional, more loving friends to become those. That's where we are in the lesson right now. The third thing, do the things that we can do today to grow in our capacity for forgiveness, which really means starting with the folks that are easy to forgive, the friends, the families, the one right nearby us. And finally, we just watch. We watch and we see. You'll remember the two-step dance of the spiritual journey. Desire and pay attention and then desire more and then pay attention more. And we do this process, desire and pay attention. So... Do that at the end of this process. Because the way the spiritual transformation journey works is the same way that a tree grows. You don't see it happening, but you can see that it has happened. So we look up one day, and loving our enemies does not seem as crazy as it once seemed. Compassion for all beings. What? Hey, what do you know? Look at that. Breaking the cycle of suffering. Who knew there is a capacity that wasn't there? We look up one day and we, were, we, are, we become able, we have become able to be the people this moment in history needs us to be. We become able to be peacemakers when all around us people are not peacemakers. We become able to be people of understanding when all around us people are not understanding. So we're exploring the second of those in this part of the lesson. The develop intentional friendships, become better friends part of the lesson. 
So I said we would have some practical things that we would do. We will talk about that, but one more week of some broader context. Uh, here's why I do these background context lessons. It's to help us see the why, not just the what and the how. Why we intentionally develop the capacity to become better friends. Why it is so transformative. Why it so changes us. So in the last lesson, we finished with this. Friends are good for us. Listed a whole bunch of research. Friends affect our well-being as much, if not more, than our other important relationships. Again, lots and lots of research. But I finished that lesson with this. The insight of the spiritual tradition is that friendships are more than just good for us. Getting better at friendship expands us as human beings. Getting better at friendship awakens us to a deep part of us, a part that we call the inner light self or the divine center part of us. Getting better at friendship is a pathway that if we will follow, awakens us to the bigger self within us that lives within a bigger reality. So we saw, yes, friendship does emerge from natural selection instinct evolutionary altruism. But if we are intentional, it is also a way to awaken that mysterious thing inside of us, the eternity in our hearts thing, the awe and mystery and truth and beauty part deep inside of us. In the book that I said would be a good companion for this lesson this year, the author cites Aristotle on friendship. Friends, Aristotle said, are another self. Friends are another self. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Philosopher. Just what we needed, some more of that useless philosophy stuff. Friends are another self. But then the author goes on and cites a bunch of brain scan research. And it turns out, if you get better at friendship... That person becomes folded deeply into our lives and into our brains in the same space that our brains process what it means to be me. Our brains, as we get closer to someone, migrate that person into the making a self part of us. The part of our heads that creates our own self-narrative. The part of us that stitches together our disparate experiences into a story that says, I am this, I do this, I am a self. That part of our brains, as we get better at friendships, invites other people into that part of our heads. My version of me starts to get commingled with you. There's a psychological term for it. It's called self-expansion theory. I love that term when I read it, self-expansion theory. Put folks that are good at friendship into an MRI scanner and get them thinking about friend, and the part of the brain that lights up is the part that I highlighted some months ago, the default mode network, the part of us that stitches together for us our sense that I am a self. Self-expansion theory says there are things that we can do that if we will do, make possible tomorrow to live in an expanded sense of our very self. 
which sounded to me a whole lot like ancient spiritual wisdom. Get better at friendship. Practice with friends love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Get better at friendship and we awaken into a bigger way of being. That mysterious, ineffable thing that we call self gets bigger. It includes more. It contains more. It embraces more. Or, put another way, we expand self until we see the world less through the lens of two-ness and more through the lens of oneness. Get better at being friends and pretty soon friend and self become more one than two. And get started on that expanding self journey and who knows where it will take us. Now here's the thing, our brains do that for us. When we bring intention and purpose to becoming better friends, our brains do that for us. So thank you, brains. The things we can do to become better friends expand us, expand our brains, expand our capacity to see a bigger and deeper and truer reality. And when we do, what do you know? Reality is more one than two. So that's a good place to start. Start that journey to what some theologians call non-dualism. Start that journey with our friends. Start by becoming a better friend. And then look up one day, and who knows? We, once we become able to integrate more and to include more, and once we become more connected, then do it again and again and again. Maybe love your enemy is not as crazy as it sounds. So, those were some really nice paragraphs that I just spoke. Wrote them before I spoke them. <laughs> Pretty words like self-expansion and containing more and connecting more, more oneness. Ooh, pretty, pretty words. <laughs> but also, <laughs> and when I wrote this down, I heard my uncle in the back of my head when I was a teenager. What the hell does that woo-woo shit even mean? <laughs> so let's make it practical. In the Thursday email, I said I was going to tell you a story. Here's the story. Because it does seem kind of woo-woo, all those fancy words. But see how it gets very practical, and see how it gets very practical very quickly. Here's the story. It's the early 1800s. It's at the tail end of the age of Western expansion. It's about 40 years after Cook discovered Hawaii. And as happens a lot, when previously isolated populations begin co-mingling, sailors unwittingly brought disease to which they had community, but the Hawaiians had not developed uh, immunity. In particular, they, in particular, they brought leprosy, or Hansen's disease. And the disease was devastating. <coughs> By the mid-1800s, alarming rates of death, but the worst kind of death uh, accompanied with all kinds of horrible disfigurement as parts of people's bodies begin to die and fall off. So we can understand the terror 
people felt at the time, shows up an unknown deadly disease that eats away our bodies and then kills the people that we love, and it's spreading from person to person at an alarming rate. So people were frightened. We understand that. A little bit panicked. We understand that. And they did what sensible people would do. They begin to practice the understanding they had at the time, which was an isolation strategy, to isolate those with the disease. Makes all the sense in the world. But when people are frightened, when people are a little bit panicked, that's not when we do our best thinking. That's not when we access our better angels. So while isolation was a good idea, the way that that policy was enact enacted was pretty brutal. And they started by criminalizing the disease. Anyone suspected of having leprosy was arrested and imprisoned and banished to the island of Molokai. And in that fear-driven enacting of an otherwise sensible policy, families were torn apart. Some people fled, other people hid out. It was a draconian policy and facing it, some families hid their infected loved ones. Other families disowned their infected loved ones and turned them in. Think back to our own pandemic just a couple of years ago. That was not us at our best. So all the human ugliness that tends to emerge when we are overrun by fear, yeah, all that happened in the mid-1800s in Hawaii. So much so and so deeply embedded in the consciousness of the people that even after a cure was found in 1941, those same draconian policies remained entrenched until uh, 1969. They weren't abolished for all those years, even after there was a cure. So when that happened, when a person was exiled to Molokai, they were considered to be legally dead. Everything that they owned was taken their marriages were annulled. They were banished because they were not coming back because they were, in the eyes of the law, dead. And when they were dropped off on Molokai in the early years, there was no medical care. In fact, there was no care. A scant few provisions were dropped off with them, a few blankets, because the expectation was they wouldn't be al alive long enough to use the provisions. A few blankets, some farming tools that they didn't know how to use, enough food to last days, not months. In effect, the isolation policy was an institutionalized, legalized version of abandoning the infected to die. Now it's easy for us on this side of history to look down upon those harsh policies, but an unknown killer shows up among us our instinct also would be to protect the many, even if we had to do so at the expense of the few. Who knows what any one of us would have done? Well, the first banished group was a group of 16 people. And of those 16, four were healthy enough to care for themselves. Two were extremely sick and couldn't help. Three were sick enough that shortly after they uh, were dropped off, they moved into they could not care, to, uh, care for themselves category. And they were all strangers to one another. Not like they were connected and then they landed there. They didn't know one another at all. 
So you can imagine that first drop-off through the lens of red in tooth and claw from that perspective, from a survival of the fittest perspective, the most sensible thing to do was for the healthy ones to conserve their energy, to not use that energy caring for those who were going to die soon anyway, no matter what they did. The sensible thing was to not share their meager salt, pork, and hard tack rations to treat the terminal among them the way that the rest of the islands had treated them, triage, which was to those who can be saved, let's put our focus and energy there and let's sacrifice the few in order to save the many, which again is sensible. It would increase the odds of survival for those who had a chance of surviving. So another ship comes back two weeks later, expecting to find the sickest ones dead and expecting that the well ones would be on their way to dead. Consequently, they didn't bring any provisions. They just brought more infected people also to abandon to die. But what the crew reported back was not what anyone expected. They found huts had been built, homes for the sick and for the well. They found crops that had been planted, tools that had been figured out. They found fresh water had been sourced and had brought, been brought to the ill. They found fires burning 24 hours a day to keep the sick ones who grappled with cold, keep them warm. They found that the strong had not taken the food for themselves, but had instead spent their energies caring for the weak and had been cooking and gathering foods from the island and beginning to build a life that they could sustain over time. Of the 16, uh, all of them were still alive. Nobody expected that. The sensible thing had not been their thing. Their thing had been the wired into human nature thing that we looked at earlier in this, les in this lesson when we talked about all those other times of troubles and tragedy tragedies and disaster. Because in times of disaster, in times of war, in times of troubles, uh, I hope you remember, it is in us to get better at friendship. That is wired into our most fundamental instincts. So for 150,000 years, I think it's about 7,500 generations, we human beings, or at least the Homo sapien uh, branch, have survived on this planet by becoming better friends. We care for one another much more than we kill or harm one another. Now, we sure do kill one another, and we sure do harm one another. That also seems to have some kind of instinctive thing going on inside of us, but that's not how we survived. We have survived because we do better than any other species on the planet caring for one another. It is wired into our original equipment. It's the way we are made. So, I found that story a few weeks ago, and I started reading a lot about that time in history. And again and again and again, I was so moved because better at friendship is a compelling part of our humanity. I read stories about how better at friendship worked out among the banished, and then later among those who came to care for and support those who were banished, thinking that they would probably be infected themselves, but they were going to care for the banished. Again and again moved by how, in times of trouble, we humans rediscover, as though we didn't know it, 
And then we rediscover this core human dynamic, the transformative power of becoming better friends. It is a powerful part of our humanity, and it's a part it's so easy to lose sight of in our highly individualized, highly commercialized, take care of our needs at the store society. Now, none of us want what happened to those people to happen to us. But reading their stories, there was a tremendous beauty and a tremendous meaning in what they experienced. It's like that quote I read uh, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, about the journalist looking back at Sarajevo 20 years after the fact and feeling somewhat wistful, actually missing the war times. And she said, how fucked up is it that we, have to, that we miss times of war because it war forced them to live in this deeply meaningful, deeply human way, purposely and intentionally interconnected, mutually dependent, becoming better friends. Because that is our heart's true home. Now, I don't want leprosy, and I don't want to live in a Hawaiian leper colony in the 1800s, but I want that, because that's what matters. So in today's lesson, lots of inspiring words. All those quotes from earlier about all those spiritual masters, and then the, those words about self-expansion theory, an Aristotelian notion of another self, the default mode network, oneness is a better description of reality than two-ness. But honestly, that's not what really matters. Let's just say you never heard any of those pretty words. Or let's say you did and it just didn't register. That's okay. Because all of those lofty notions are not what matters. Here's what matters. Find some firewood to warm a sick friend. Find some fresh water for your struggling community. Learn to use farming tools that you don't know how to use. Share some food when you're really hungry. Build community for those who've been kicked out of community, even if you've been kicked out of community yourself. Those are things that we can do, that if we will do, will change us, and we can change our world. Now sure, as we've seen, becoming better friends does expand the self. We've got some MRIs to show us. It does awaken us to oneness. Great, that's wonderful. It does help us see the bigger reality we're part of, but none of that matters. What matters is the things that we can do today that if we will do, make it possible tomorrow to be better friends. If we don't do the things to become better, more intentional friends, then all that other stuff, it doesn't matter. Now, in the next section of the lesson, I will talk about some practical stuff. I'm going to work really hard on it. I'm going to make sure that it's intriguing. hope it'll spark some thoughts. But here's what I kind of hope. I kind of hope you don't need it. I will uh, help us consider things that we might not have considered, things that could be integrated into our daily lives. But I hope you don't need it because all you have to really do is be armed with this idea. Becoming better friends doing small things more intentionally and doing them now will transform us. And if you decide that you're going to do that, I bet you can figure out how. I bet you can figure out how to do that uh, better than I can in a lesson. 
because you will figure out how to do it within the constraints of your life, within the constraints of your schedule. You will find here now small doable ways to be more intentional, to be a better listener. I bet you can already figure, think about ways you could be a better listener with your friends, or you could be more intentional in being trustworthy, being more reliable with your friends. I bet you could figure that out without this lesson coming up. I bet you could figure out how you could better maintain the connections Maybe pick up the phone more frequently or maybe make a contact more often. Be more intentional about encouraging or supporting. And you can do that without the next part of the lesson. What you will come up with will be better because it comes from your world. So, in Dwelling Divine, may we become better friends. May we become the bigger selves that people become when they do become better friends and may we inhabit a more oneness world and get really really practical in how we get from here to there amen all right so uh, those of you out there on zoom some of you are live we know increasingly uh, you're time shifting and you're doing this later so but I still want to talk to you if you're uh, here on Sunday morning, I hope you'll go over to the Zoom call. Uh, the link is in the YouTube notes. Um, we're working really hard this year to try and make spaces more um, engaging of folks who live in different cities or folks, even if you're in Raleigh, who can't be here on a Sunday. So one of the best places to start is with what are you thinking? We're going to do that here in the room in a minute. And, uh, but I hope you'll go over to Zoom. If you do, click the link. You're gonna, it's going to ask you for a password. It is 1417. So I hope you will do that. Uh, let's go ahead and dismiss the folks who are online, and then we will open the floor, and I would like to hear what you're thinking as well. So if you would, please put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of indwelling divine. We have within us, and the way that we say it, it's made of the same stuff God is made of. We've got all of that divine reality within us, the fruit of that spirit. So we've got love in us and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Good, it's all in there. Often cleverly hidden under layers and layers of stuff, but it's in there. And so if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what we've already got in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair our world and to heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Those of us in the room... If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.